0: Now, today's episode was inspired by a recent post I saw on LinkedIn by my friend, Spencer Hillegas. He said, real estate isn't an alternative asset, it's the original asset. So this is what we're going to discuss today. Now, incidentally, today is Wednesday, February 3rd, and before I get into this discussion, I'd like to quickly announce that Four Oaks Capital is holding its next Multifamily Mastery webinar on Monday, February 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and our guest speaker will be none other than Spencer Hillegas the inspiration for today's episode. Now, he's been amazingly successful at raising private equity for commercial real estate investments, and he'll share the secrets to his success. If you want to attend, check the show notes for a link to our RSVP page, and we'll send you a Zoom link. Or just go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com, look for the link at the top to our events, and click RSVP. Simple as that. Now, back to the statement that uh, Spencer said, real estate isn't an alternative asset. It's the original asset. Now, in light of the GameStop debacle that we've seen in the last week, I think people are getting more and more frustrated with the stock market as their primary vehicle for investing, You know, partly due to the volatility we've seen in the past 12 months, but now especially due to the manipulation of the stock market, which, incidentally, is not a new thing. So when I saw Spencer's post, I did a little bit of research on this, and I found some very interesting facts that I'd like to share. Now, incidentally, I'm a foreign area officer for the U.S. Marines, and I have a graduate degree in international relationships focused on Latin America. So I've read numerous books and articles on the colonization of the Americas and understand that real estate has played a very important role in the colonization thereof. Now, today I'll focus largely on real estate in Europe and the United States or the Americas because it was primarily the Europeans that colonized and established the governments in the Americas. But if you look at other cultures and civilizations, I think you'd find this largely to be the case that real estate is the original asset. So during the feudal period in most of Europe, land ownership was the only true wealth. The monarchies would lay claim to all of the land under their control and assign the land to various people in exchange for their loyalty. Typically, the assignment of land came with a title that matched the endowment of land. And the land ownership came with rights to all the incomes from that land. Why was the land important? Well, most of the economy was based around what the land produced. Land ownership included income from rents and taxes on the land. The more land and the more choice land that a certain noble had, the greater their wealth and status within society, and generally the titles matched. In most areas of Europe, the land ownership was also hereditary. As long as family remained in good standing with the monarchy, the land passed from father to firstborn son, or potentially to a daughter through marriage and dowry. And incidentally, the property property rights established have been one of the main reasons that the Western economy dominated the world for so long. Now, the word real in real estate comes from the word for royal in Latin. Now, as part of my job, I speak both Spanish and Portuguese, and real in Spanish, or real in Portuguese, is still the word that means royal. Now, there's conflicting information on the internet as to where the term real estate comes from, and of course, the internet is always right. But many blogs and articles point to real estate as first being part of the royal estate, meaning the possession of the monarchy and nobility. Now that said, colonization of other areas, from Europe especially, was a direct result of land being the original asset. Many times those colonizers that left Europe to seek their fortunes were the landless elites, often the third or fourth born sons of the landed elite. Now, why were they colonizing? To lay claim to land and built their incomes from the land. Because under the rights of property, only the firstborn son was typically heir to the lands and titles. So, many wealthy but landless nobles crossed the Atlantic in search of land. They would find land, claim it for the monarchy, and hope to get a portion of it returned to them along with the title and rights to the income. In most of Latin America, which is colonized primarily by the Spanish, This led to the land and wealth being concentrated into a very small group that essentially formed an oligarchy. In the British colonies, later the United States, there were indeed very large estates, but to encourage settlement, colonization, and westward expansion over the years, people were able to lay claim to property, clear it, begin to build it, plow it, farm, and earn income. Now, land was also important for another big reason. In the original constitution, only the landowners were given the right to vote, And this was largely the case until 1850, or essentially the first 60 years of the existence of the United States. So when did the tables turn and real estate become an alternative investment? Well, let's look at the stock market and the history of of the stock market. Now, 1602, the Dutch East Indies Company became the first publicly traded company. And they did that to spread the risk of sailing from Europe to East Indies. It was a very... Risky predicament to sail all the way halfway across the world and back in search of profit. So the East India Trading Company decided to sell shares of the company to spread the risk over many people. Two centuries later, in 1801, the London Stock Exchange was created. And shortly thereafter, the New York Stock Exchange in 1817, which incidentally was not the first stock exchange in the United States, but it quickly became more prominent than the Philadelphia Stock Exchange. Now, due to the Industrial Revolution, businesses that produced manufactured items now rivaled real estate in their ability to produce income. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, land and agriculture dominated the economy, and the landed elite dominated society. The merchant class was often able to amass considerable wealth, but not necessarily achieve the same status in most societies. So, stock exchanges started popping up all over the world Canada, Tokyo, and many other large cities. Over time, there were bubbles and bursts, and since the beginning, there's also been manipulation of stock prices to create profits for some at the expense of others. As early as 1825, the London Stock Exchange completely outlawed the selling of shares because of such manipulation. So slowly over time, ownership of stock of publicly traded companies became a way for people to invest and receive a return on investment. Now, after the Great Depression in the United States, there was a series of acts that changed the landscape. The Securities Act of 1933, the Securities and Exchange Act of 1934, the Investment Company and Investment Advisors Acts of 1940 all changed the landscape. Primarily, these acts created the SEC to regulate stock markets and required investment companies and investment advisors to follow certain rules and regulations. Now, over the past 80 years, the investment companies and investment advisors have largely controlled access to the stock and bond markets. But more importantly, they have also controlled financial education. These companies and advisors would charge fees for their services, which include portfolio management, trading fees, brokerage fees, etc. And since real estate transactions were outside of their purview, real estate to the investment in companies became an alternative to the stock market. Now, a lot of financial advisors will point to the fact that the stock market has generally outperformed real estate over several decades, and there are several indices that they can use to prove this. Of course, there's also a large financial incentive for the advisors and the advisory community to promulgate these figures because they benefit from selling you market investments and not real estate. Once again, they'll point to one of the several indices that track the major stock exchanges, like the Dow or S&P, and they'll compare it to commercial real estate indices. And truthfully, in a lot of these cases, the stock indices win in the majority of the comparisons. However, it's not typically a fair comparison. It's more like comparing apples and oranges because these indices do not typically account for the fact that you can buy real estate on margin. Meaning you can go to the bank and with $25,000 buy $100,000 in real estate. And what this does is it amplifies the returns that a person gets from owning real estate. Now, the indices also don't account for the tax benefits that come from owning real property, which are substantial, and they also don't largely account for the cash flow that comes off income-producing properties. Now, if you were to further compare real estate with the stock market, you'll also see that real estate does not experience the same volatility as the stock market. And with dealing with commercial real estate, it's the income that determines its value, not consumer confidence or market sentiment. Now, it is true that bubbles can occur in in real estate, but because of the lack of liquidity, the real estate market is not easily manipulated, likely, we've recently seen with GameStop. And frankly, this type of manipulation is much more common than we know. I think those responsible for GameStop fiasco are very likely upset with themselves because of how well the manipulation worked. Now, a lot of times, the stock market manipulations are small and create profits and go largely unnoticed. In this case, the GameStop manipulation works so well that the entire world saw it. End of the day, we we'll go back to the original premise. Real estate is not an alternative asset. Real estate is still the original asset. Real estate is not an alternative to the stock market. However, real estate should be a part of everybody's investment portfolio. And that's it for today. Stay tuned for Friday when we drop another Ask the Expert episode. This time with experienced investor Paul Moore and aspiring investor, Johnny Lynham. And don't forget to check the show notes for the link to RSVP for our upcoming webinar on February 15th. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at foroakscapitalcom slash podcast or email us directly If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.